0: Welcome to Design Your Life in Business, the podcast for leaders by Bright Mind Consulting Group. We give you the necessary tools to help you become the architect of not just your business, but your life too. I'm your host, Javon Wooden. Hey, my dear friend. How are you, Sabrina?
1: I'm well. How are you, Javon?
0: Doing well. Excited about this one. Sabrina is actually my friend. We go back a few years, so this one will be good.
1: (laughs) It's going to be great. I promise you.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I already know. So first question, we get right into it over here. So who is Sabrina James?
1: So Sabrina James, I guess I don't like to be defined or put in a box, (laughs) but I can give you some of my characteristics and some things that I enjoy doing in my profession. Obviously, there's many different layers to me. But first, obviously, I'm a child of God. I'm a mother, I'm a business owner. I have an accounting firm called Accountastic. And I also love working out, business networking as well too. So that's just some layers of who Sabrina James is.
0: <laughs> nah, I love it. I love it. So the name Accountastic, how did you come up with that for your accounting firm?
1: So I struggled with a business name in the beginning. I think I switched it two or three times. I think I reached out to you about the very first one. You was kind of like, ah, so I wanted something that had a meaning behind it. Instead of have a fantastic day, I like the Accountastic. So it's more of an acronym before accounting and taxes. So that's two of my main streams of business. And I put them together and I said, oh, I like it. Now, it's kind of hard for people to pronounce and spell. But again, as we grow and, and become very popular, I'm sure everyone will be pronouncing it correctly pretty soon. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And I love how you did the play on words, putting it all together. I thought that was clever when I first saw it. So yeah, everyone's getting to know it. we see that you've been in Bloomberg. So we know that you're getting some traction, right? So you just wrote for them a few times. So that's what's up. And now we're bringing some of that knowledge over to the Design Like and Business podcast. So you know I'm about to ask you about some accounting questions, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> So first is we're going to go with some softball ones. What started your interest in accounting?
1: Well, I fell into it. I worked in property management for six years. At a young age, I was a leasing consultant, worked my way up to assistant manager, and then a property manager. I had no clue what accounting was or had any interest in accounting until I had my son. And then I took some time off and decided to try to maybe do something different. And I had a recruiter reach out to me and say, hey, you know, we see that you have Yardi software experience. What do you think about becoming a property accountant? And I thought about, I don't know. It seemed a little, and you know, intimidating to me at first because at that time I didn't have any knowledge of accounting. But I have already acquired those skills as a property manager and didn't realize it. So as a property manager, I was making sure the purchase orders, invoices, was in there, processing payroll for my staff, coding invoices. So there was a lot of accounting skills I acquired. And that recruiter really helped revamp and highlight some of my accounting skills that I did as a property manager and assistant manager. And I tell you, the floodgates open. I have so many companies reach out to me because just that single software that I had, and obviously my level of professionalism as well, too, that I've never lacked a job since I've been in the accounting world. So I enjoy working with numbers behind a computer any day, than having to deal with residents come in your office all day long or have to go through the burden of evicting residents as well, too.
0: Absolutely. And we know you're very good at what you do. But I'm sure like the jump from, you know, working in that residential setting where you're getting that check to becoming that entrepreneur and owning Countastic, it probably wasn't easy. So can you tell us a little bit about what that journey looked like for you?
1: Sure. So when I started Countastic, I didn't seek out to start my Own business per se. I didn't say, "Oh, I'm going to start this big successful accounting firm." That was not in my mind. I can remember when I graduated from Georgia State University, moved here to Maryland, and I took a job out in Silver Springs to sit in the traffic after I dropped my son off, sitting in traffic for an hour to get to work. I was just like, I didn't go to college just to come back and do this again. You know, I'm well off in my career at this point, so I would listen to a lot of YouTube videos on how you can get multiple streams of income. So one of them was getting a side gig or doing extra little things, investing, real estate investing, a lot of things I would read and learn about. So I always had it in the back of my mind and I started out helping the individual show houses. Then I got some small little bookkeeping clients here and there and also became a licensed tax preparer as well too. So once I had enough of all of these clients, at some point I was thinking, okay, instead of going to where they are or having an office to where I got to drive up there and they can meet me somewhere and I can go over these things. I mean, a lot of things are done remotely. I decided at that point, okay, you know what? Maybe I need an office space, right? To start meeting all these clients there. And well, prior to the office space, let's back up, I guess. I was still working a full-time job while doing all these side gigs. So COVID hit. I got laid off, which at that time I knew it was coming. I was not disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) I was happy with my little unemployment at that time. I had my side gigs. I was able to give more time to other clients. Then I thought about, okay, maybe I need an office, right? So I got an office space so I can have more clients come into office, tax clients, bookkeeping clients. And then I made sure I got enough space where I can add another teammate as well, too. So it kind of took off from there. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be this accounting firm. I'm be Bloomberg. I'm going to be whatever. I, it, the funny thing is I used to listen to Bloomberg in the morning time. So to be a writer for Bloomberg, write tax articles for them, and to be featured in Spotlight with Bloomberg tax was just really like a wow. All of this happened within a year and a half, almost two years. So April the 15th made my business two-year birthday. I gave my business a birthday, and it's April the 15th. So I have a two-year point. But yeah, so it's been taken off nonstop. A lot of people do ask me, are you afraid of not making or whatever? I've always been great with budgeting my money. And I'm a totally fake believer as well. I calculate the risk, but I'm also one to take the chance. And I believe, you know, like this is going to work for me. And nine times out of 10, it does.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that's the mindset of an entrepreneur, right? It's like, you know, you don't worry about the problem. You just figure it out like as it comes, because no matter how much planning you do, something's going to go awry and you just have to be willing to have that tenacity. And, you know, being who you are and being a mom, I always salute to mothers. You know, mothers just have that embodied tenacity, embodied poise, embodied figuring it out. So, you know, you're a natural. I've watched you grow. So I know all the things that you've gone through on this journey. So I salute you for sure. What's the difference? You mentioned bookkeeping as well. What's the difference between an accountant and a bookkeeping?
1: So there's a huge difference. Accounting, I guess, is more of the bigger process. The bookkeeper normally, during the day-to-day transactions, journal entries, categorizing certain transactions, and the accountant typically rolls over to where they are the overseeing and can interpret the financial statements, right? You may have someone to say, oh, put everything to income account or do this and do that. But if your bookkeeper cannot interpret your financial statement or see what it is, what the balance sheet means and how much your business is worth, being able to interpret that and implement changes as well too, and create forecasts as well too. So there's a huge difference between an accountant and a bookkeeper.
0: Got it. Thank you for explaining that because you hear sometimes people use them interchangeably. I just wanted to make sure we had a clear delineation between the two. So as an accountant, like what are some common misconceptions you hear people saying about your profession?
1: I think people don't realize how much work it takes. Even if it takes you 15 minutes, right? You may charge a certain price because you're charging based upon your value and your knowledge. And I think one of the misconceptions about an accounting is they believe that an accountant automatically does taxes. Or Expertise in taxes—that's something that came later in my career. I was a property accountant for many years before I knew anything about taxes. I often would get asked, "Oh, you're an accountant? Do you do taxes?" For years, no, <laughs> you know. And I got kind of asked that question. I was like, you know, maybe I should start doing taxes. I think that was one of the misconceptions. However, they do were interchangeably, obviously, in the finance world. But yeah, it's totally two separate, different industries.
0: Yeah, because, you know, we always hear when someone says, hey, I need my tax file. You say you don't have a CPA. So it doesn't necessarily mean that that CPA does the taxes. Is that what you're telling us?
1: Yes. Now, CPA is different because it's a certified public accountant. So they are licensed to do taxes. I am not a CPA. I'm a licensed tax preparer, but I'm also an accountant by trade for around 13 years. So for me, it was never really interesting me to get my CPA because I always sit in cubicles next to a CPA, right? So I was like, what's the point of going through this whole process? Now that I have my business, I have really no interest in it at all either. So you have people that can be a CPA and know certain industries or certain different types of accounting. you got governmental accounting, construction accounting, manufacturing accounting, real estate accounting. Most accountants typically specialize in a certain niche or area because it's so different. Same with the tax as well. They may have some tax knowledge. This doesn't mean they're a tax expert or they may know how to do individual taxes, but maybe not necessarily how to do business taxes. So it varies.
0: Gotcha. So how do you stay up on all of that stuff that's happening in the tax and accounting world?
1: Oh, gosh. So taking classes all year long, basically, you do. You really have to. Tax laws change just like sun comes out and goes down every day, Right. So I take a lot of tax classes, typically for like the tax year, for an example, 2022 tax year. Most tax preparers, we take a lot of classes in and towards October, all the way around through the beginning of January, simply because there can be a law they can push through right now in May, but it may change by the time the end of the tax year ends. So you just want to get caught up on all your updated taxes, uh, tax laws. So another thing that we are as licensed tax preparer through the state of Maryland, we have to have a certain amount of CPE credits to stay accredited. So, and I'm also part of the IRS annual filing season tax preparer as well. We have to have even more credits, CPE credits throughout the year to maintain that certification as well. Same as CPAs and enrolled agents as well too. So we do have to have a certain in-depth knowledge of taking these classes on a reoccurring basis, but it's something that just, Generally, that I'm interested in is not just work for me. So I can go to sleep and turn off Netflix and read the IRS Publication 15, you know, just so I can know, like, oh, okay, this is good to know, just so I can better educate my clients.
0: <laughs> I don't know how you can read that and be like, yes, this is amazing. <laughs> but I've watched her do it, everyone. Like, I've literally seen her do it. <laughs> so she's not just saying that. She is really geeked about this type of stuff. So with that being said, like, is that something that we as consumers of taxes and accounting products and services, should we be asking like, hey, how do I know if your credentials are current or should we be checking in
1: on any of that stuff? I would. Well, there's several ways. In my office, I have my Maryland state licensed tax preparer hanging up in my office and also my IRS pin and my IRS annual season fouling certifications hanging up in my office. But a lot of time you don't go into tax offices anymore. Matter of fact, 90% of my clients are remote. So they wouldn't be able to see that. They can see it on my website, but you can also go on irs.gov. You can check to see if that individual in every state doesn't require tax preparers to be licensed, but you can see if they are registered with the IRS. They may have a P10, meaning that they can file taxes under well, not even TurboTax, but another tax software but as a tax firm owner if someone has said they own a firm they're the owner you want to check and see if they have a EFIN. so that's where you can electronically file an identification number for your firm and you want to make sure that they're in good standing with that and you can check the IRS website for that as well too I would also just take it a step further if they're based out of Georgia Texas or whatever have you I go on that state website. To see if the business even exists and if it's in good standing as well, because you do have a lot of fraud out there with people filing taxes, taking people's social security number and things, whatever have you. And, you know, they just going off what their neighbor told them. Right. But always do your due diligence. If you can't find their first and last name on the IRS website at all, there's a database. Do not use them.
0: You heard that, designers. Make sure y'all doing your due diligence, especially when it comes to your money, okay? Don't just let anybody into your accounts and all that stuff, giving them your social or your EINs and all that. So make sure y'all check it. So thank you for mentioning that. So I'm wondering, like you mentioned TurboTax and something like that. What's the difference? How does someone know if they should be looking to file on their own or if they should be going to someone who is specialized in tax filing?
1: So it depends upon your complexity of your tax return. If you have a basic tip, W-2, it's just you by yourself. You don't have any online trading. You don't own a home. It's just you, right? You don't have any other things going on with your taxes. You may can get away with doing it on TurboTax, right? Because basically the calculation is can be somewhat simple. Whenever you dive into the more complexity of a tax return, you have dependents, you have a spouse, you contribute to 401k, you go to school, you're a student. You have investments, you own a business, you're thinking of buying a home, you know, you're self employed is number one because you have to write off all of those expenses. Then I definitely believe that you should get someone who specializes in business taxes or specializes in that arena of tax preparation and also have knowledge that can articulate to you as to how they can save you money in taxes and then also some recommendations. So, a lot of my clients come back to me every year simply because I do their tax return, but I also give them recommendations as to what to look for for the following year as well. And that's something that you can't get on TurboTax.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, we need that. And that ties kind of ties into my next question like for the designers listening right now, what are some top tips for keeping finances in order throughout the year so we're not scrambling when it's tax time?
1: Number 1, if you are a business owner, separate your personal Expenses from your business expenses. Do not co mingle funds. I mean, that is the number one rule. If you have a business, treat it like a business, set up a business, check an account. Or if you don't even have a checking account, separate it, keep the receipts in some point to where you can track it. A lot of people don't keep paper receipts anymore. I mean, receipts fade over time. You do have these little cool apps you can take pictures of it, but that can be time consuming and confusing, right? So, nine times out of ten, you do want to hire an accountant or a bookkeeper to start tracking those expenses for you. But if you do it on your own, just make sure you keep it separate. Even if you have two personal accounts, which if you have a business, you want to do a business account, but just make sure they're two separate expenses. So you can have those bank statements. You can always reference back as to what the expenses are so you can write it off for your taxes. Number two, I would guess, so in terms of creating a goal for yourself, in terms of what are your goals? You want to buy a home? You're a self-employed, you want to buy a home, you want to grow your business. So there's a lot of different avenues in terms of what your steps should be, depending upon what your financial goals are. I had a call with a client today. He's self-employed and he wanted to know, okay, how do I start up a retirement plan? I'm self-employed. I used to have this through a W-2, right? So organize it in the sense of knowing what your goals are, that can kind of that's your end point. You know how to track it going forward.
0: Absolutely. And then you meant retirement is a great question because a lot of self-employed. People, we have businesses, we don't even really know where to go. So what are some of those options that are out there for self-employed people?
1: Right. So again, it it ties back to your retirement goals. What type of retirement vehicle would you like to use? So the most common one people have as W-2 employees are your basic 401k. You may even be lucky to get with a company that matches your 401k. I guess standard, most people normally do around 3% contributions to your 401k, And that's an excellent resource to use because that is what we consider pre-tax dollars, right? That's money you earn. You didn't necessarily get in your paycheck because they take it before. So you're not paying taxes on that money when you file for that current year, unless, of course, you take a distribution. Same with the traditional IRA. And there's caps on how much you can contribute to a 401k. Same with IRA. Now, the IRA can be for self-employed or someone that's W-2 as well, too. There is special laws and regulations in terms of who can contribute to an IRA. If you make over a certain amount of income or your household size is a certain amount, then you may not be eligible to even create a IRA or a Roth IRA account because your income is over a certain amount. But most time most people fall under that threshold and they can have it through their company, their job if they're W2 or if you're a self-employed like myself, you can seek out wealth management companies. There are several, Morgan Stanley, you can find Northwest Mutual, Charles Schwab. There's endless companies that will manage your IRA or Roth IRA accounts for you and manage that portfolio. Within that portfolio, it gets real tricky. What do you want to invest in? What do you want that to look like? Right, what's your risk? How much are you contributing each month to that plan? Do you want to invest into just the stocks? Okay, if they do just invest into stock, what does it look like? It's P P500 or just some stocks that they're going to pick individually for you. They in turn may charge you a percentage on the value of your whole account. Could be 1%, but it could be a lot of money depending on how much money you have and what you have in the account, right? Or you can get one that's self-managed. You can maybe do it through E-Trade or I know Ally Bank also has that option as well too, where they manage your IRA or Roth IRA account. They just take it out of your savings each month and put it there. And they have what they call an automatic system that chooses the stocks for you. Or you can do a Roth IRA split where you have multiple different types of investments, not just the stocks, right? You can invest in gold. You can invest in real estate. Some people even have the, what they call the IRA, where you can have real estate under your Roth IRA. And again, that ties into a lot more tax laws but it's definitely beneficial in terms of what each individual long-term goals are. And the question that the gentleman asked me today was, how can I contribute to my Social Security when I'm self-employed, right? Typically, Social Security is taken out of your payroll taxes. But whenever you file your taxes and you're self-employed, it's normally filed on a Schedule C, and you pay that self-employment tax, which everybody hates to pay, right? (laughs) That 15.3%. Within that, there's a certain percentage, 12.6% that go towards Social Security and Medicare. But what if you're not paying any taxes? What if your expenses outweigh your income and you have a loss? Or it's really a small amount, $800 in the tax, only a small piece goes towards your Social Security. What are you looking for in the next year? I mean, not next year, within the next 10, 15 years in terms of retirement for Social Security versus if you work in a job and you're not accumulating enough Social Security. So I definitely urge a lot of self-employed individuals, or even if they're S-Corp or partnership, right, because they're not paying that self-employment tax either, to go ahead and you can put yourself on payroll where you can ensure that the Social Security amount is, you can at that time choose a bigger amount. But if you're going to just stick it out to where you're going to be filing taxes, going to be contingent upon that. I would recommend getting your own individual IRA or Roth IRA account set up for retirement purposes.
0: That's some great information because oftentimes you think like I'm self-employed. I don't really have a lot of options. Right. And you mentioned that self-directed IRA. That's always a good choice. Right. Where you can kind of choose that you invest in if you qualify for it. So, yeah, thanks for all those gems. (laughs) We're hearing a lot about tech these days, especially AI. Right? I know people probably have AI fatigue these days. But I'm wondering, do you see any way that that is impacting the accounting profession?
1: Oh, definitely. We're not competing with technology, obviously. But typically in accounting, there's still some type of human intelligence that checks for errors, right? It really helps lessen our times because some of the tools that's been built and given to us. I recently just got off a call before I got on here with you, a training with how to price or increase your pricing to certain clients. And he offered a certain type of software that does it for you. So, it can tell you you have five different types of services you want to offer, and it's easily chosen based upon which income level this person is. But anyway, it it automates it for you. So, you're not scratching your head trying to figure out, well, how much should I charge them for this? What's the market rate for this? How much can they afford? It breaks it down to the monthly amount that they recommend, and it gives you a basis, right? So, you're not there trying to figure out, would this be too much for them or that? So, it kind of shows you a bigger picture and what you can do. And it also, Calculate based upon the US standard, whether it's the fee based upon the US for this service. You know, a lot of times as an accountant, including myself, we underprice ourselves, our value, our work, simply because we want to keep that clientele. But you can have 222 clients, right, paying a low rate versus 56 paying the amount that you want that can equal the same amount of revenue that month. So, again, it's not even about how many clients you have, but the quality of clients that you have. And being able to use automation and technology to articulate and explain that to the client, that is really helpful.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's something we could use in the the consulting world, right? That value-based pricing, you know, just well, how much should I price? That's a pretty cool tool that I haven't seen yet. So you just put me on to something. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Create the software, Javon. I know you're smart. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I need that.
1: <laughs> There's another one. I believe it's called Chatbot. You ever heard of that before?
0: Chatbot. Uh, I don't think so.
1: So Chatbot is basically if you want to write an article, but you have some keywords or a couple of sentences, it kind of created for you in your own level of expertise. So to say, but I haven't used it. Someone recommended it to me. And I'm hoping I'm saying the name of the business correct. Oh, is it ChatGPT
0: maybe? That's what it is. Well, I think there is a chatbot like on the App Store. That's probably where you got that from. But yeah, because there's a bunch of them that popped up using ChatGPT software. That's exactly what it is, ChatGPT. Yeah, that one's amazing for sure. I, I know I use it. I hope everyone's- You
1: use about. it? I have never used it before, but it's something that I'm interested in. Yeah.
0: I'll show you how to do it. Because it's, it's really prompt engineering is where you're going to get the most bang for the buck. So you can create craft things and teach it and train it and all that stuff. But yeah, it's pretty cool. So you as an accountant, I'm sure you can use it in some way, You're writing all those boring drafts and stuff that you have to write. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of ethics, what role does ethics play in the
1: accounting world? So ethics is number one. Definitely. You want to be able to trust any individual with your money. And not only that, to make sure that they're advising you correctly as well too. I wouldn't name, but in the past years, I've worked with some people before and I was just kind of like trying to cut corners and do little things and whatever have you. It's not worth it in the long run. And then I may get a client request that may just ask me, well, can I just do this or do that? I'm like, no, you know, you may not feel like you have a lot to lose, but my line and my reputation is on the line. So yeah, ethics to me is everything. People hold money dear near to their heart, and I pride myself off of being, you know, ethical. That no one can say that, oh, she did this or told me this or this was incorrect or took any money from me or whatever have you. No, I clearly explain everything to my clients, and I make sure that they're in compliance with the IRS and then also the general accounting acceptable principles as well too. I was gonna say, what happens
0: when you fall out of those accounting principles? Like, if someone does something wrong.
1: So there's a lot of things that can happen. For an example, the earned Income Tax Credit, or the Child Tax Credit, or someone claiming to have a business but don't have a business. The IRS is now finding tax preparers for not doing what we call a due diligence check. So we're required to ask certain questions and put in the writing that we ask those questions to the individual, and that we have confirmed or under our assumption that that is accurate for them to claim those credits. So there's a due diligence. And as a tax preparer, you can be fined up to $500 per incident or criminally charged as well too. And some things, I've went to some certain classes during tax season where one of the instructors gave an example, which she didn't know, someone was giving him false W-2s. There was probably 12 or 13 people just coming to him, but you know, word of mouth gets out. And he's just fouling W-2s because they're W-2s. Now, we as tax preparers, we don't have time to go back and do a forensic check to see is this real? Is this calculated? I mean, we get so many financial documents. Right. But the IRS, being that it was so many being filed under his EFIN, under his firm, the IRS looked into him to see if he was in cahoots with the people that was creating these W-2s. Therefore, his firm was in criminal investigation where he could be indicted. They also went to his home, you know. So you have certain people that fall and it wasn't fault of his, he didn't have any knowledge of it, knowing that, you know, he's been doing taxes for over 30 years, right? But you just never know who's out there trying to get extra money and want you to do the work, right? So if there's something I'm not sure about, I always ask the question. Or for what I do for all of my new clients that I'm not familiar with, being that a lot of things are done remotely online. I request that they have an IRS authorization completed and filled out. And we submit that to the IRS. So with my firm, we do a due diligence check. We check to see if there's any fraud related to this social security number. We can see your tax history, your tax records, because you're a new client. I don't know where you're coming from. I mean, you can send me over your social security card, your ID. I never saw you. How do I know that it is you? But at least with that formal file, I've done my due diligence to say, okay, This social security number is fine for right now, you know, but again, it's still up to the tax preparer and tax professionals and accountants as well, too, to do a due diligence check, at least put some effort in if you're not familiar with anyone. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's good to know, because I always wondered, like, what happens if this accountant just shafts me? Like, what protection do I have and vice versa? So that's great to know.
1: Right. You know, you heard what happened with Steve Harvey, where he had his accountant, claiming to file his tax returns for over what, 12 years, seven years or whatever have you. And they were taking the money for themselves. I always tell individuals and me, people ask me all the time, oh, Miss Sabrina, I owe this amount of money. Can I pay you and you pay the IRS? No. That is a service that I would never do because I don't ever want it to be an instance where someone is claiming me because the IRS has now went into their bank account, took their money or put a lien on their property. Oh no, I gave my money to Sabrina. You know, I don't ever want to get between me. And there are some boundaries. You have some people that do offer that service. And my firm don't, because I don't ever want to be a situation that claiming to have paid me and I didn't pay the IRS for them. So there's some boundaries there. But if you want to check always, you know, if you have someone filing your taxes or doing your accounting and you're like, you know, what, I'm not quite sure if they're doing it right or they're not showing you the documentation that it was filed or showing you that it was paid or whatever services they have, you know, contact the IRS yourself, find out, get your own tax transcript, see what's going on with your account yourself. And if you need be, you can always contact me. I can interpret the data for you. If you don't understand how to read your tax transcripts. So.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. I think that's key to understanding. if you don't understand to like know where to go to find out. So thank you for that. So As an accountant, you guys are under a lot of stress, right? You have these seasons where it's like you're going back to back to back to back to back. So how do you deal with that?
1: It's really hard to balance. Me, being that we do accounting and taxes, we work year round. And really, account everyone say tax season, right? Up until April, April the fifteenth. Typically, we're doing taxes year round. Some people file extensions, and you have up until October. And between April to October, you got still people that you're doing taxes for, business taxes, corporation taxes. We do tax planning year round. So it doesn't stop really ever. In addition to accounting clients, that's monthly. So it's really hard to manage. Myself, I was just listening to T.D. Jakes. He was speaking on The Breakfast Club and he was talking about his book, Disrupted Thoughts. And he was saying that he hosted a business summit and they was able to find some analysis where... I wouldn't even give the percentage, but there's a large percentage of black business owners being self-employed and only having one or two employees, but they're not able to scale out to where it relieves them of their time so they can really have time to oversee and push the business forward. So that's something that I am particularly working on at this point is growing my firm to have someone in place that they can run it, but I still run it and oversee it. But someone just as knowledgeable as me and I can rely on. And that will give me free time to, you know, bring in new acquisitions and push the business forward in a different direction as well.
0: Absolutely. You know, my slogan is delegate, delete, delay and automate. Right. Just make sure you use that sign. 3DA, delegate, delete, delay and automate. That's what I look at. <laughs> so all right, we're, we're going to shift to our by design segment where I ask every guest the same three questions. You ready, Sabrina?
1: I'm ready. <laughs>
0: I know you are. All right. So what has been the hardest part about designing a life and business you don't need a vacation? from?
1: Well, everything that's hard, I do need a vacation from. <laughs> I would say because I enjoy helping people. I really enjoy pouring knowledge into people. I enjoy observing knowledge. So I like to share it with people. And it could be a lot of hard work and a lot of frustrating, you know, making sure they're on top of things and following up to say, Hey, did you do this? Did you do that? But I like to see people grow financially and increase their knowledge. I like when people have a conversation with me, they walk away with, Oh my God, i learned something. So it could be hard. It can be challenging at time, but that's something I can never have to take a vacation from.
0: I love that. The second question is what is the best lesson you've learned along your entrepreneurial journey?
1: The best lesson I learned would be that I cannot do it by myself. I mean, as much as I love myself, I wish I can clone maybe two or three of me. (laughs) But being able to train the right person and let them take over. I'm not a micromanager though. So I think in terms of me would be learning how to delegate.
0: I like that. Of course, we just talked about it. That's super important for us. So what are three tools or tips that you would recommend when scaling a business?
1: Number one, know your goal, know where you're going. What are you doing all this for if you have no aim, no point, right? Whatever your business needs were last quarter or last year may be totally different from this year. So I always advise people to at least do a business analysis of your own business every quarter. You know, where I was in October last year or December, or January, is not where I'm at right now. So my business have different needs, been able to identify the weaknesses of my business and address those weaknesses, create a solution for those businesses. So that would be number one, knowing your goal. Number two, doing a business analysis. The next one, and this is probably sounds so cliche, believe as a business owner, you're not gonna know everything. You're not gonna understand everything and it's okay. Hire somebody who does, know that area in that field or get a mentor from somebody who's kind of where you're going, they are already there. So that would be tip three.
0: I love it. No, those are absolutely cliches usually mean that it resonates and it still matters. So I'm all for cliches, but Sabrina has been amazing. I appreciate all the knowledge you have imparted on us. How can the designers connect with you?
1: Sure. You can find me at www.accounttastic.com, And that is a dot com. I'm on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and all of them have the same social media handler, which is the business name at Accountastic.
0: Absolutely. And those are being the show notes designers. So it's been a pleasure. Appreciate you. Always awesome speaking with you. And I'm sure I'll be seeing you soon in person.
1: Yes, come back to DC. When are you coming back?
0: I'm not sure. We'll we'll see. Maybe I can get a live podcast out that way.
1: All right, let's see.
0: (laughs) Design Your Life and Business, the podcast for leaders, is brought to you by Bright Mind Consulting Group. To find out more about Bright Mind Consulting Group and how you can become the best leader possible, visit brightmindconsultinggroup.com. Make sure you search for Design Your Life and Business on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Bright Mind Consulting Group, we cannot thank you enough for listening.